Welcome to episode three of Once Upon a Lifetime. Thanks for joining us again. If you have not yet listened to episodes one and two, we suggest you go back and listen to those. Otherwise, we are going to be picking up right where we left off. We had done Gigi, then we had done Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday, before it even was put out on the market, Hollywood knew this is going to be a blockbuster. This is great. We want to hire this girl to be the lead in the next big thing which was going to be Sabrina. It was going to be Audrey Hepburn, Bill Holden, and Humphrey Bogart. They're in the middle of shooting Sabrina when she meets Mel. Sabrina is worth talking about. It is like the throwdown. how she loved the set of Roman Holiday and Gregory Peck's, like he's a peach and everything's great. And she's got a tough director, but he's helping her. And it was such a great set. And so she's coming on to the set of Sabrina. These are some big stars. She, we just got this TV, you know, like we can see it now in like HD, old movies on HD. It's kind of creepy. Holden had these blue, blue piercing eyes. And he was just like such a handsome, handsome guy. And yeah, Bogart, full not kind of so charisma. great in HD. Bogart <laughs> is looking a little rough. He's seen things and he's not happy about them. Right. And Bogart, for kind of unclear reasons, except for some sort of relational things, like he had been, I think, second choice for this movie. And when he found out he was second choice, he just got real PO'd about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. He just got real catty. You know, Caddy about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the first day after they wrapped, he has like a little private drinking party in his dressing room and he does not invite Audrey or um Holden. or William Holden. Like they are not in his private drinky club. So they have their own little drinky party in their dressing room. But invited the director. Yes. So the director of this movie goes to their drinking party, and now all of a sudden, Bogart feels the like- The line is drawn. Like the, like the redheaded stepchild. Yes. Yeah. And he is so mad, because he's supposed to be the big stuff. He oh. is just so angry, and he really never, he never gets over it. He never kind of comes back to norm. And he was just kind of, um, had a habit of when he spoke forcefully or did his lines. He was <laughs> so like, gross. Like, he would I can't- spit, like- Little bit since he was spray of saliva. Can you imagine acting like you're in love with this really older guy who's got some <laughs> kind of whiskey breath spitting on? They had to have a dressing room person, like a attendant, come and kind of towel off like little bits of a suit and try to film him at an angle with the lighting so you couldn't see the saliva. It was <laughs> like they actually wrote about how hard it was to film around his spitting. So oh, forever, this, this is how yeah. did he succeed in the industry? Bigger I know. question. I, don't know. I do feel like it totally has ruined my image of him. He's so vindictive in a lot of what i read said he wasn't always like this like he kind of came and he was super tired he'd been doing a whole like years and years of back-to-back movies at this point and he was just exhausted so is this toward the end of his career oh, he's yeah. older his, yeah. his star so he maybe is, is just of, getting to be a crotchety old man yeah, and ready to like, be done yeah and he can see that audrey is on the rise and bill is like in his virile healthy self here's bogey yeah and he just felt like like, he was a way bigger deal than Bill Holden, and he found it insulting to be playing opposite him. And then Audrey Hepburn, who is she? I've never heard of her. She's Because remember, at this point, Roman Holiday has not actually come out. They've made it. They know it's good. But Bogart doesn't really know that. So she's an absolute nobody at this point for him, and he's insulted. In, oh, yeah. in, and, and in Hollywood terms. I mean, she's still the Broadway star, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Not, but like, in movies... She hasn't made it as, like, a 
a movie star. Which we see that later with Julia Andrews, too, that to make it on Broadway did not mean you could make it in movies. Yeah. Which it still doesn't mean that. Um, They are really different forms of art. But So Bart has got mega chip on his shoulder. And a hairpiece. They have to glue his hair on for this movie to make him look like a believable love interest for her. Yeah. So that so might have made him cranky. Maybe it was creepy. itchy. <laughs> There's a lot of creepy things. There are, there are. I mean, the tension gets so bad during this movie. There's actual fist fights. Bogart is punching people in the face. I have read that the makeup people were so glad that Audrey did not need a lot of making up because they spent more time trying to patch up Holden and Bogart. Oh, right. gosh. And Holden and Bogart are massively heavy drinkers. They're just drunk most of the time. I mean, they really have got issues. Holden is a nice guy, but has got serious issues. He's pretty insecure. He's neurotic. He's a heavy drinker. And he's, I say, quote unquote, married. He seems to have had this very open marriage with his wife, Ardis, A-R-D-I-S, for 30 years. They'd had a marriage for 30 years. And they were both okay with having their multiple lovers yes. <laughs> they were over swingers for, back for in the dinner. day <laughs> they'd be like oh let's have a family dinner with the lovers and the children I, there's someone i'd oh, like you to meet darling. i was only kidding no i'm serious <laughs> you're actually serious for real oh my gosh well yeah. they, they wouldn't you know share but they introduce they'd say here's a special friend i'd like you to meet but i i've read that actually artists asked specifically to meet Audrey. She heard things and she wanted to check her out. And she gets a gander at this Audrey girl and the eyebrows go up and she thinks this is not an ordinary floozy. This is That's right. She knows Audrey's with. a real threat to yeah. Bill's fidel like whatever they conceived of as fidelity. Yeah. Audrey actually threatens that. <laughs> now speaking of conceiving, this is Good a big transition. deal. So Artis had asked him after some, I don't know, lady difficulty she'd had. I don't know if it was childbirth or otherwise. She well, asks him to get a vasectomy. I, I read that he had to get the vasectomy because of all of the the floozies. Well, it was A, her issues, and B, floozies. And I think it was Anita Luz who said, why did you do that, darling? Now, now he's just going to go around with everybody. In Bill's case, I, I'm sure he would have done anyhow. I don't know if that made much of a difference or not for him. But yeah, the fact he was, was gonna, he liked the ladies. Yes, cat so. about town. So where this fits in is that Audrey wanted to be a mother more than anything. She just craved to be a wife and a mother. And she started planning like, oh, Bill, when you get divorced, we'll have children. We'll have so many and we'll name them this and that. And she's going on and on. And Bill's, you know, for a couple of weeks, he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And later, a couple of weeks in, he's like, so something we need to discuss. And he tells her, I got snipped. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And like her face oh, just no. falls and that's it. It is over. It that, is over. Like over, over. Not I mean, even like, one minute we're on. Yes. Next minute, done forever. She's like, out. I was attracted to you as a future genetic well, relationship. She had we were going to combine genes and now. She didn't just, she didn't <laughs> want a lover as much as she wanted a family. Yeah. And once family was off the table that changed the whole nature of the relationship she's like oh we're not building a life together we're we're just having some fun yeah and that was a whole different game for her she thought well i'm i'm out of here this is not what i'm here for and, and you do see that i mean that is a an absolutely real thing that plays out she had always had a thing for wanting to be a mother and babies because even when she was a little girl her mother would have to keep her from grabbing babies out of strollers at the market 
Like she had this thing. She always had little pets and little animals. So I think that was like a theme in her life is that she craved giving affection. She needed affection and she desperately wanted to give affection. And so that was always a theme. She had left Hanson. She'd met Mel. Mel went off to do his important theory stuff, you know, so he's off somewhere. She has this thing with Holden. And when that is cut off, Mel kind of, Mel has four kids. We know he, you know, he can produce children. So, <laughs> right. This is, we know his fish. And I think maybe that he was like a comfortable, you know, after that disappointment with her romance with Bill. They are hooking up via Ondine. Ondine was definitely a vanity project of Mel's. He really wanted to show how artistic and creative he could be. And, and Audrey got to be a water nymph. It's funny because the costume is netting and sequins, and she looks practically nude. And usually censors would have a problem with that, but it was Audrey. They were like, oh, she's adorable. Yeah, she the, it was it. almost like she has kind of this, not exactly pre-adolescent body, but enough so that although she had some strategically placed fig leaves, <laughs> it was kind of okay. And it was Broadway. She was This was on Broadway. They did this play, and... She was just a smash hit, of course, as she typically was at this stage of her career. People thought she was incredible and amazing. And she was playing opposite. I believe it's opposite. I have not seen the play, but she was playing at least um, she and Mel, I think, had similarly important roles. And he was the knight errant. And his performance was flat wooden. People did not like it. People thought it was just dull. They wanted to give Audrey a solo bow. He wouldn't let her have a solo bow. And she kind of went along with this. He very much felt in charge of this whole project. There was a director, but when they would go home in the evening, Mel would direct Audrey. He would just overstep the director's authority. And he didn't even make uh, any pretense of not doing that when they were in rehearsals, he really made a big fuss. He was very pouty, very temperamental, and really seemed that he didn't need to be directed, that he knew what to do. And and everyone really should listen to him. So he was just the petulant, frustrated artist in this one. And it just was not a good look for him at all. Right. And she was so enamored with him that everything he did sounded brilliant and was the way to be. So she had no problem not taking this solo bow or whatever, all those little things that he kept doing, not exactly to keep her down, but kind of to build himself up. And at the cast party, a fan approached the director and said, did you learn anything from working with a movie star like Mel Ferrer? He answered, yes, madam. I learned that you cannot make a knight errant out of a horse's Ooh, right. Yikes. (laughs) Not a fan. I feel this is the phase in Audrey's life where she started to have to really apologize for Mel's behavior because of the way that he treated their fellow actors, directors, co-workers, and so on. Mel would make a scene and then Audrey would very quietly go behind, make the apologies. She was so devoted. Now she's... What is it that you think she saw in him? Uh, like, why? She loved his confidence and he made her feel confident. Mm. So she is very insecure, always has been, always will be. And he exuded confidence. And he was willing to, the way she saw it, which is so ironic looking back on it, it must have been even at the time for the people around them. She's about to win a Tony and an Oscar. And yet she thinks that he is taking her under his wing. She thinks, oh, I'm 
so lucky to be this protege of this wonderful man. Exactly. That is exactly it. And he's been in the movie world longer. While being in Undine is when she is given these awards that I hinted at a minute ago. And she goes, it's February 1954, and she actually has to rush from her performance of Undine, still in costume, with a police escort and a Rolls Royce, She changes into one of her Givenchy gowns and makes it to her seat just in time for the Best Actress Award, which she wins. She was so flustered, she actually took a wrong turn on the way up to the stage and ended up like in the boxes. Like she, instead of going up the steps to the stage, isn't that just the cutest? Yeah. I just love this. From fig leaves to the the awards. That's awesome. And I love that she like missed the whole night and just kind of breezed in, you know. here to receive my award. Right, right. (laughs) So it's funny also because at this point, you know, she's from Europe. She knows it's it's an honor to get any award. This is nice, isn't it? To win this Oscar. This is a nice thing. And then it's not until years later that she knows what a big deal it is. And she says that in a couple interviews. She says she just wasn't familiar enough with the culture to know what a big deal it was. And then three days later, she wins a Tony for Andine. And I think she was the only good thing about the show, really. She actually says about winning these awards, it's like when somebody gives you something to wear that's too big and you have to grow into it. I wouldn't say I learned to act yet. Often... I think I'll never learn anything. She has been working. Either she's doing eight performances a day or she's on set shooting as a starring role, which means you're in almost every scene, working early, early in the morning and costuming all the way through the day till late at night until the shooting is done every day for about three years straight. And it's at this point she has a really serious breakdown, mental and physical breakdown, which makes perfect sense. Working at that pace is insane. From October 1951 to July 1954, she does Gigi, Roman Holiday, the Gigi tour. She promotes Roman Holiday. Then she's immediately into Sabrina, and then she does Undine. So they actually end the run of Undine early because her doctors say her anemia is so bad. She continues to get these migraines. She's 15 pounds underweight. She's a serious chain smoker. Her doctors say she has to stop. This isn't safe anymore. She must rest. And this is also the first time we see how her introversion limits her ability to sort of keep pace with some of the other high-powered stars that are out there that just work nonstop like that for Mm -hmm. their whole lives. She says, I could never be like some of the truly great actresses and have a family because I find acting and relationships too emotionally draining. She cannot do both of those things high-powered. She has to choose. And so she's getting more serious with Mel. Plus, she's just exhausted. She's having a hard time also with the reaction of fans, of people just crowds surging towards her. And this is also really foreign to her, an aspect she really didn't like. She did one press release, was it for Sabrina, where crowds of people flooded at a department store for a chance to meet her. And after that, she requested that she would not have to do something like that again. It just absolutely overwhelmed her. It was terrifying. Right. So she actually goes to Switzerland at this point, and she stops at Bergenstock for a meal, and then she goes on to the resort where she's booked. This is supposed to be her place of refuge. Well, one of the staff had told the press that she was coming. 
and she is met there and she's literally just shaking anyway just kind of like a raw nerve she's really in a bad place she arrives there's people there trying to talk to her ask her questions what are you doing next she gets back into the car she tells her driver to drive her back to that place she'd had that last meal at birkenstock and she goes there she ends up going back to birkenstock for years they end up renting chalet after chalet because that becomes her place of refuge. So that one resort really lost out, didn't they? <laughs> they did. <laughs> they Big messed. opportunity gone. Well, she had such a love for Switzerland. And you'll see further in her life, like everything momentous for her, she wants it to happen there because she believes that in Switzerland, there'll never be a war as she experienced in her childhood. She felt that it was a safe place, not only for in her current life at that point with the press and the, all that whirlwind but also i think coming from her childhood she just likes the idea that this is a safe neutral place the baroness ella is like what is wrong with you <laughs> woman oh, we made ella. it through the war now you're a successful actress get it together she just does not understand what could be this person's problem you know how can you not be you survived death and destruction and now you can't handle a little bit of press i mean she just has almost no sympathy for the whole situation poor audrey's in this is the stuff they leave out of the children's picture books <laughs> they do <laughs> this, is, this is why you need the podcast right yeah exactly <laughs> so 1954 she she leaves i think in july from Undine. And she and Mel are married. They actually marry in September. So it's pretty quick. Marriage to Mel. Audrey is extremely convicted. She needs to limit what she's doing at work in order to give proper attention and time to the marriage. So she decides she's going to do one or maybe two movies per year. Which at this time, like I said before, I think it's like three to four months to shoot one movie. And she just wants to very much limit the time that they are apart. So they don't have to do all the same shows, she says. But they need to limit when they're going to be in different locations shooting. I think she has learned a lot from her past, observing other relationships. Maybe from the other men who are married that she spent time with, from her own parents. Her not. parents, Bill Holden, was, was a uh, lesson in... You know, the whole open marriage idea, I think she was not a fan of that idea. And she thought, well, if that's what it takes to make it work, you know, I'm just going to keep pouring time and energy into this. So I don't end up there. 1954 is the first pregnancy and her first miscarriage. And at this point, I would just like to point out that the woman has seven miscarriages. And I had to put that together myself. You hear, oh, she had a miscarriage here. Oh, she had a miscarriage there. But I don't think that Audrey would like those pregnancies to be forgotten. I mean, they really devastated her. Each one of them, it never got old and it never got easy to get right. over a lost baby. There are some really tragic moments in this whole miscarriage journey she has. The two boys she did have that were born live. I mean, you can see how why she doted on them the way she did and why she made them such a priority. She had really, she had to suffer a great deal. To have the children she had. Absolutely. Her journey to motherhood was absolutely not easy, but she was just unrelenting in her pursuit of that. That was far more important to her than her career was to have a stable family, a close family, and just to be a mother. She just longed, longed to have children with every fiber. There's so many times when she 
talks about that this is the only thing in her life that she truly, truly wants. Yeah, she says it, her sons say it, the people around her say it, her ex-husband say it. Pretty much everybody is in agreement that having children was the thing she cared about. So after this first really devastating miscarriage, Mel suggests that she throw herself into work, and she does. She makes the movie War and Peace. She ends up getting paid... $350,000 plus $500 a week for expenses. And she was shocked by this. This was a truly exorbitant amount of money in 1954. And she says, but I'm not worth it. Mel thinks, yeah, Yar, and we want this money. (laughs) (laughs) But this is why she married him, right? Right. You are so good, girl. You're worth every penny. Yeah, milk this cash cow. (laughs) So because of this income they're having they actually end up officially moving their citizenship to switzerland both of them because if they'd had to pay taxes in the u.s and the uk they would have ended up paying 90 percent of their income so there was another reason she liked switzerland yes she did like that it was neutral in -hmm. most wars or all wars (laughs) tax shelter is more affordable Right. Well, it's Europe. It's kind of right in the middle, and it's an interesting place. Lots of different cultures meet in Switzerland, so there's a lot of reasons to like it, but there's also a financial gain. In War and Peace, it's also important to note that Mel also stunk in that movie as well. They were a double deal sometimes. He plays Andre. (gasps) Isn't that a major part? It is. Well, you know, it's Mr. Audrey Hepburn. And I think that this is the movie where the, the casting people said, we bought... Audrey for the price of fairer and it was too much. People do not want him. And he just thinks he's rocking it. So No, he's a little black cloud on that set. I think whenever you're working with him, you just have to manage that ego and it's so difficult. It has to be such a strain. Again, like I said before, for Audrey to kind of keep Mel happy, keep the cast, you know, having a working relationship. I don't know if she's super aware yet of how other people perceive him. Yeah. I get the impression at this point she still thinks he's the better part of this relationship. Right. At this point, he's just quirky. Right. (laughs) Okay. So in the 1950s, producers are freaking out about movie viewers defecting to TV. So they make War and Peace to fill the epic niche and draw people in. Like, you can't do this on TV. You can only get epics through movies. It used all sorts of new technologies and gimmicks. They even considered using... And they thankfully rejected the short-lived contraption called Smell-O-Vision. No. <laughs> Is this a thing? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, define, please. What is smell-o-vision? Well, I assume that if somebody comes around a- and, like, sprays or smell in your house while you're watching. Oh, no. No, no, no. Because you can't get it in the house. Oh, it's right. It's a gimmick at to the, get you into the movie theater. Oh, my yes. gosh. Well, then. It's an epic. <gasps> Like fog that smells like horse poop. So, thankfully, we don't have that. You know who does have it? The IMAX does something weird like that. We saw something years ago that did it, like, puffed out smoke when there was supposed to be a smoke moment. It It sounds stressful. Yeah, it was. It was like you were watching and you didn't know when something was going to come next. Like, rain would fall. And you'd be like, I'm wet. Oh, I would not like that. No, it was way too sensory. I'm a dual sense sort of movie viewer. I don't want another sense. No. Just want to hear, just want to see. Yeah. No smelling, tasting, feeling. Gosh, I I see CinemaScope and VistaVision. 
He right. rejected these. So those were wide angles. Those are some of those new gimmicky kind of things to do. Because Audrey already had a wide face, they made her face look terrible. And she had to really fight. You're not taping me with that stuff. Did you have anything else to say about War and Peace? I don't like Mel. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I still don't like him. Not gonna lie. So the next movie she does here is Funny Face with Fred Astaire. This is a continuation of pairing her with men 20 years older than her. And it never bugs her. She is thrilled. Thrilled. Well, these so are her excited. childhood heroes. <laughs> that's I kind loved of weird. you when I was eight. <laughs> I know, but that is kind of weird. The people driving these casting d- decisions, they, they just like seeing her with a protective, paternal, older male. I think sometimes in movies, if you hit on a winning formula, you're going to repeat it. These stars wanted to appeal to a younger audience, too. It was a real challenge to get the younger viewers in and their parents and so they thought well put these two together and everybody will come and have a look right and i know it wasn't completely happy and acceptable i know fred astaire had issues with the whole idea he had avoided doing movies with audrey for a while there had been they'd kind of pitched the idea of different movies with him and her together and he had rejected them and said no i am too old for her how weird you no <laughs> At this point, she's a big enough star that it's kind of foolish for him to say no. And he knows this is my last chance. If I'm going to do something with Audrey, this is it. So, And she's at the top of her game. Yes. So might as well. Might as well do this. So he kind of gives in and does it. And she, for her part, is thrilled because, you know, her dance background. She wanted to dance. And he's the best dancer. and, And she's just so excited to be able to dance with him and nervous that she won't be good enough like she's terrified as she always is feeling inadequate about everything you know Mm -hmm. she feels like she's going to be an inadequate dancer and she practices and she practices she is just all about trying to be a great dancer in this movie it's kind of a makeover story where the magazine editor takes the bookish beatnik audrey and makes her into a glamorous parisian model i kind of like the kooky bookstore audrey i like her too although the philosophy in particular that she's espousing is like what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the whole philosophical thing got a little much but it's a cute story it was the first audrey movie that i watched and it was a really good first one very easy to like her in it i will say there was one line that really it just bugged me after she's declared her love for fred astaire he says, there's this philosopher guy who wants to have lunch with you. That's ridiculous. He doesn't want to have lunch with you. He wants to be uh-huh. your new man. And she's like, no, 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 no. He just wants to have lunch with me because we're going to talk about this philosophy that I love. And Fred Astaire says, he has no more interest in your brains than I do. <gasps> and it bugged me. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, I don't know, girls. <laughs> like, I had all my daughters <laughs> watching it with me. I was like, I don't know about that, people. Yeah. We're not fans of that in this house. No. Oh, do you have to not worry and just think pink in this movie? (laughs) Think pink. I don't want it. That was the only downside, though. It's a very cute movie. It is. And it's such a travel movie. It was a real escape movie, I think, for women of that era. Because, again, Paris was really, really in. And you could just see all of the scenery and really get away for an afternoon before you had to get back to your, I don't know, the pot roast and the washing machine and whatever else was waiting for you. Right. And it was kind of neat. I loved all the travel scenes where they're going to different places because you can see how Paris can appeal to different people. So they've got the three different characters with their three different types of Paris. Like one is a shopping Paris. One is the 
the like thinker and revolutionary philosophizing kind of Paris and the other one's just the typical tourist Paris like let's see the sights let's see the the big things you know and then they all meet together at the Eiffel Tower and that is one of those things about Paris is that you could like it for totally different reasons and this was a great movie because Mel was not in it so Mel was not in it it was a huge hit yes people loved it Audrey's eldest son says that this was his favorite film of his mother's, and it just fills him with joy to see her soar and dance. The modern dance solo in the cafe, he says the craft is supreme. She gets to spread her wings and fly away on a dancing whirlwind that has been bottled up for years. Yes, so if you can't watch the whole movie, that little dance scene there, definitely worth a look. It is. It seems like she was having fun. She's not dancing with Fred there, but I do know when she did dance with Fred, he was real snippy and rude and not that nice to her. It wasn't outright obnoxiousness like Humphrey Bogart and Sabrina. No punching, no like (laughs) no actual fighting, right? (laughs) No spittle. No spittle. Well, who knows? I mean, you never know who spits, but... No reports of Fred Astaire spitting. So he still felt this awkwardness. The things I read that explained his kind of impatience were that he felt inadequate, which is just so ridiculous because there they are both feeling honored slash inadequate. (laughs) Such a waste. You know, so that's the movie where she wears little black crew neck sweater, black capri type pants and black shoes. And the director said, you have to wear white socks. With this outfit. And she was like, no way. I mean, here she is, this fashion icon. <laughs> so great. And she's like, I am not wearing white socks with this outfit. How embarrassing. And he said, you have to because you're dancing and we cannot see your feet moving. You're wearing black. It's all dark background. You've got to wear these white socks so we can actually see what your legs are doing. And she fought and fought and fought and fought. He insisted. And so she wore the socks, and when she was seeing the raw footage later, she wrote him a note saying, you were right about the socks. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. As she and Mel are doing these movies, traveling around, Mel has his own projects going on always. I love that she is trying to make a home. She sees life differently now, that she's married, things are different, and she wants a home even when they're away. So she begins to collect together vases, photographs, linen, candlesticks, crockery, books, and she sets up house in all the different hotels and rented houses that they hop around to. So every time she gets into a place, she rearranges the furniture, she puts her own tablecloths on things. She is rumored to have traveled with 55 pieces of luggage. Whoa. Which is a lot. But when you're making that much money... Why not? Yeah. Exactly. Bring your own china. Yeah, and it's kind of like a, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to be a working woman, and I'm going to be really domestic, domestic, married. I'm having it all. I'm going to, like, this is her attempt to have it all. And And I imagine there were not many other actresses in her day doing this. She was it. I can't picture Marilyn Monroe doing this, right? (laughs) Let me bring my 55 pieces of luggage so I can lay table in my hotel room. Right. Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I can tell you that Marlena Dietrich used to bring some, um, like, Ajax cleanser in her luggage because she would scrub that bathroom German style. Like mm-hmm. It was not ready until she'd given it a good scrub, but, yeah. but not domestic like Audrey. I think she has been uprooted since she was how old when the war started? Well, even before, because she was sent to boarding school mm-hmm. and back and forth with her mother when her parents broke up. It was just a lot of 
back and forth. And then、mm. I wonder too, she must have done this. I like to think a lot of it for her own enjoyment, but maybe also to give some consistency to Mel that wherever he was jetting between projects to see her, that it felt like home. There she was with her frames and the candlesticks. And yeah, I don't think she cared one whit. Oh no, I don't get the impression that he was in any way. I think I think it was for her. And I'm you know I'm similar. I make a home, yes, for the people around me, but a lot of it is so I'm happy. <laughs> So I live, you know, I'm living and working in a place I like. That it's nice.、Um, I'm not sure he cared at all. He seemed always to want to push her to do more work and to be out in the world and doing things. He never seems to me to be giving her enough time to just be who she wants to be. Do you think that could have given some element of security to her in a way if she's undergoing all of this stress and、oh, anxiety、yes. and depression? Just having her own things around her, maybe so that she doesn't feel that she's being whirled around so much. Yeah, absolutely. I think she's longing for rootedness. Like at this phase, I think she's absolutely desiring to be rooted somewhere to have some stability. Well, especially after a loss of a baby, you know, where you're feeling even more out of control and what is my life? It's like, oh look, I can make it what I want to make it. Right. On that note, we're going to end this episode here and pick up next time with more of Audrey's domestic and career highs and lows. Thanks for listening. Join us next time. <laughs>